Hi everyone, I'm Lacey. I'm Bailey. I'm Drew. And we're sarcastic, so let's get sinister. I forgot to start things off. Yeah, is Charlie going to be whining the entire episode, or? That's Nina. Oh, sorry. Mm. Is Nina going to be yet. whining? She's her. She's going to eat in like ten minutes, but she likes to start early in case you feel like feeding her early. So this is her. I hope you're going to feed me early. Sound. Hmm. So are we going to so feed her early in the background then? for a little bit? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I saw, it's not my episode, but I'm going to derail it for a little bit. Um, uh, I saw a TikTok that was like a fun question that if you had the opportunity to like know, um, or like find the answer for like any like unsolved mystery, what would it be? It could be like true crime or like haunted or whatever. Um, so like what, what would you guys do? Oh, so if we could choose... You could solve one. What one would it be? My instinct was to say Diet Love Pass. That's mine. That one's been on my brain for such a long time. But we've done some episodes where I was so frustrated because we didn't have answers. Yeah. I think, I don't think we've talked about it. But the, um... Oh, what's her name? Some, some Eliza Lamb? Is that her name? Yeah, the one in the water tank on the top of the hotel. Yeah, she she um that's a good one. That's a weird you. one. Oh, that I know what really I want. One. The girl who went down the uh the trash chute. Oh, the elevator? Baby. Oh, yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yep, since Bailey's already taking care of Dialogue Pass. Between the three yeah. of us, we'll get three. Eliza Lamb, that's a good one. That's that's like one of those loopholes throwing like the genie's wishes. Mm-hmm. Billy, let's do this together, guys. Let's all solve yeah. different crimes. <laughs> A giant spreadsheet we share with the world, so nobody's repeating. We won't have any other unsolved crimes or like mysteries. Don't worry, people will keep doing stuff. <laughs> um, we'll just catch them quicker. I thought, Bailey, that you were going to ask if, because I guess this question has been going like, I don't know, it's been popping up on my friend's. The three year page? For you page? Yeah, but like my, well, it's become a topic amongst my little friends out here because I think it's been popping up on their newsfeed or something like that. So we've been discussing it where if you. Would you rather be trapped in a mall with a gorilla or a silverback gorilla or the black mamba. or five black mambas for 24 hours? And it has been a very lively debate. So, so that's I, what I thought you were going to say. That's a good question. I watched somebody get asked this question and they asked the same question that I have about it. And that is, are you just in there with them? by happenstance or are they out to kill you because that will change my answer yeah yeah are they angry or are they just chilling i feel like they're going to well i can't speak for the snakes or i can't speak for the gorilla but if a snake feels threatened it's going to attack yeah the gorilla might just do it 
does it know when its brain is it like i'm seeking out this person to get them or are they just like oh i'm in a mall because you know i feel like it's one of those situations where if they see you they'll attack but if like you manage to like stay yeah i picked the snakes then um yeah i picked the snakes too but everybody thinks i'm crazy but here's my thing i think the problem is is that out here everyone is familiar with a one-story mall Whereas I'm familiar with multiple stories and all I can picture is like the snakes are on the first floor and I'm on the third floor and I can like see them without being in immediate danger. Whereas the gorilla is climbing like King Kong up the rail. The gorilla is so Mm -hmm. fast. Like if I see the black so mama snakes. at the other, I know that they're, I know that they're fast, but I'm still confident if I see at the other end of the freaking hallway, I can outrun it. If I see the what? gorilla at the other end of the hallway, I'm absolutely done for. That's Here's... that was my thing. I can out. I feel like I can outrun a snake. If they sneak I don't up on me, I'm stuck. But I if... think that I'd have better chances—not great chances, better chances with the snakes. I think in both scenarios it would suck, but I think that I'd have a better chance of survival with a gr- uh, with the snakes. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Bailey. We've like, been just kind of so... cutting you off. Yeah, legit. Like, fuck off. You guys do one episode without me, and then you just completely forgot about it. Um, but with the gorilla, like, if you're able to hide somewhere, you can hear that thing coming. That's true. The, but I have the, to get the to the hiding spot first, and quiet. I don't think I could. So here's the other thing: the snakes. I mean, you're gonna be on guard and like stressed in any situation, but. You like you can't touch anything because snakes hide. So like you can't. You have to like be extra on guard with like where you're put, putting your feet, like where what you're touching. My concern with the snakes is them, um, coming out of like vents, because I'm like I would like to get myself into a closed off area where there's kind of open space, not like a not like a a clothing store where they could be in the clothes and stuff, but more of an open space. Um, my fear is I would have myself barricaded in this open space and then they come through the vents or something. I just still think that I would do better without than with the gorilla. I think the gorilla would find me so fast I wouldn't have time to hide. In my mind, I'm picturing myself in um, a, a local mall and you know how local there's... Mall? Yeah, you know how there's the fountain with the carousel? Mm-hmm. I feel like if... I was being attacked by the snakes, I could jump up onto like the horse and just sit there and I'd be able to see the snakes. Whereas the gorilla could follow me up. Well, they actually took the carousel down. So I didn't know good. that. Yeah. <laughs> New plan. Yes. <laughs> anyway, let's This derailed. But this was Yeah. Fun. Seven minutes in and we've talked about this. But so it's a, I do, it's a before thinker. we end it, I do want to know from Bailey, what would you rather be with then? Would you rather a take gorilla? Okay. I'd you rather seem like you're leaning that way, but I wanted to confirm. Yeah. No, I'd rather be with the gorilla. I um I'm sorry. Don't I don't want to fight like five wrong. snakes. Okay, now see Bailey's yeah, fighting them. <laughs> what yeah. what do you no. want me to do? Hide? Well, no, so this right. is my thing. I think that the, the problem is is that everyone seems to kind of plan whether they're going to run, hide, or fight. See, Bailey went for fighting. My thing is I'm trying to run away from them, but 
but it seems like a lot of the people that I've been talking to out here are trying to hide and they feel like they do better hiding from a gorilla than hiding from snakes. Yeah, I'm running not going to be able to hide from a snake. That's I think that's where I think that's well, where actually, this whole thing breaks down is like first you have to kind of maybe it's a psychological thing. Do like you, why did Bailey first jump to how am I going to fight this creature? Because that's the Bailey is the person. Mine was how am I going to outrun? What can I outrun? And Lacey's was what can I hide from? Interesting. Okay. Look at us. I I have I, I have some. Up. I have another option. Yeah. So is the is the air is the air conditioning on in this mall? I sure hope so. Unless okay. it's like winter. Crank that shit down and then snakes, they won't be able to move because they need to stay like warm. Oh, so they'll like, go into like a hibernation thing. So Possible. what if I, so if you could get to, hold on, I, I feel like the freezer, but like we're in a mall. I feel like, well, first of all, they probably have a look around the food court. They have like a food court. Yeah. Also, why would you want to go in a freezer? I mean, I wouldn't love it, in. but, like, the snakes won't come in. Lure the snakes I'll into the freezer, the close them, and then you're done. I like that. I like luring them somewhere. Maybe dump a bag of ice on them. I'll just put them in the freezer. I'm not even going to do that. I'm just going to hide. You're going to put them in the freezer? <laughs> Luring them. She's going to She's gonna catch the snakes and put them oh, in the freezer. Oh, I'm not. Okay. I promise I'm not. Just get one of those long sticks that they use. But so here's the other thing too. Like if you're caught and a black mamba bites you, I feel like it's excruciatingly painful. Yeah. We Google it. But if it, you get a, like hit like by a most... gorilla, you might be killed instantly. I feel like but a like, gorilla that's true, but I also feel like a gorilla would rip me limb from limb. We Googled it and the black mamba, I believe, is like one of the most venomous snakes. Yeah. So I think that you will die. But quickly? Will that be quick? Without without help. <laughs> I'd like it to be. If it's going to be quick, I'd still take... If it's going to be painful, and one of the painful choices is a painful snake bite or lip ripped limb from limb, I'm still taking the snake bite. I don't like blood. I feel it's it's got to be excruciatingly painful. It's probably awful. Remember when that gorilla... It wasn't a gorilla. It was a chimp. Ripped that lady's face off. Ate her face? What did it do to her face? I don't um, know, but takes, chimps aren't great. It takes just two drops of venom from a black mamba to kill an adult human. So just, like, don't get bit. That's my strategy. Yeah. But I think that it's a... I think it's... in. I think it's a psychological... Like, I feel like psychiatrists pose this question. To determine someone's psychology or something like that because of the run, hide, fight thing. Okay, well, I want to know what I fall into then. Well, you, you're a fighter. I don't no, know what I that know. says about I, you. I want to know what it means. That was your first thought. I don't know. Anyway, should we... Uh, Maybe let's... Yeah, let's get into it. Let's start with like, episode. 12 yeah. minutes later. Yeah. So it's... Uh, Lacey's telling us something today. Yeah. I thought it was an hey, expedition guys. again. We are going on another expedition. Um, it wasn't on purpose. So last week, not last week, but my last episode was the Franklin Expedition in 1845. This time we're heading to the South Pole mm-hmm. instead of the Canadian Arctic. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'm going to be telling you guys about a man named Lawrence Oates. Last week, as my teaser, I read to you guys a little a little poem 
which pretty yeah, much tells it was very what long. happened. So, it is a long one. I'm not going to read it again because if you you should have listened last week. But if or, you want to see it, you can come to the Patreon and it's up on the screen right now. You can also Google Patreon, it. Patreon.com slash Sinister nice. Sarcastic. It rhymes. It's a rhyming poem. Those are like my favorites. Um, so, but first we're going to go all the way back to 1841. Okay, so this is we're starting four years before that infamous Franklin expedition. I'm going to tell you about his dad. William Edward Oates was born in Leeds, England in 1841. Um, his family had been settled in Leeds since the 16th century. They were members of the gentry, so they were wealthy landowners. William was an explorer, and he was a member of the Geographical Society of London, which is now called the Royal Geographical Society. The purpose of this society was, in their own words, to promote advancement of geographical science. So they were basically an exploration society. It was founded in 1830, so it was still relatively new when, um, when William Oates got involved. And two of the founding members were Sir John Barrow and Sir John Franklin. Sir John Franklin was the leader of the Franklin expedition, and Sir John Barrow was the guy who, like, sent him on the expedition. <clears throat> um, William married a woman named Caroline Annie Buckton, who was born in 1854, and they had four children together. They had Lillian Mary Elizabeth Oates, Lawrence Edward Grace Oates, Violet Emily Oates, and a Brian William Grace Oates. William died of typhoid fever in 1896, and Caroline died in 1937. Today's story is going to focus on their oldest son, Lawrence Edward Grace Oates. So, Lawrence, good old Larry, was born on March 17, 1880. He attended Eton College, which is a boarding school for boys age 13 to 18 in England. Um, Eton was founded in 1440 and is well known across the world. Um, 1440? 1440. Sometimes I forget how young we are as a country. <laughs> it also, it's just, like, because isn't Oxford, like, the oldest, like, university, like, or something? Might be. Like, it sounds like just, it would be. Like, it's astonishing that that's, that we were like, let's make a university that early in time. Yeah, that, it feels like they're not even real years when we think about stuff happening there. Like, like what like did they learn in there? Going to school and going to college, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Eton College, as of 2013, um, was the largest boarding school in England and the sixth most expensive. I don't know if that's changed now. I don't know why that was the most recent number that I could find. But I did go on their website and look. So this year, this school year, it cost £16,000 um, per term, and there are three terms per year. So about $48,000 a year to go to this boarding school. Prince William and Prince Harry went there. So it's like that caliber of school. Um, Lawrence had to leave, though, after two years because of health issues. After he left Eden, he went to Southland School, which is an army crammer. So crammer schools, um, the purpose of them is to train students to do something specific quickly. So, like, you might go to a crammer to pass entrance exams for a specific college. This was a crammer to get into the military. In the U.S., we would call them test preparation centers. You might go to them to get ready to take your GED. like... Or they like tech schools too. Could be. Maybe. This almost seemed like a JROTC thing. I don't think that's what it was, but I kind of thought of it that way because when he went into the military, he was commissioned as a junior officer. So that's just kind of how it read to me. But 
anyway, in 1898, he was commissioned into the British militia as a junior officer. He took part in the Boer War, the Boer War in South Africa. And in 1901, he was involved in an engagement and he was shot in the leg, shattering his left thigh bone. And after this, his left leg was an inch shorter than the right. His thigh was, bone is called his femur. I knew that too. Which is also um, the strongest bone in your body, and it's really hard to break. Ah, his was shattered. Yeah. Um, he was told during this engagement twice to surrender, and he said, we came to fight, not to surrender. He got he said, a lot of fuck public- you. <laughs> yeah. You shot Sorry. me in the leg, but I'm gonna keep going. He got public attention for this. He was recommended for the Victoria Cross, which is the highest honor to receive in the British military. And it's for, quote, valor in the presence of the enemy. It seems to me like it's like the Medal of Honor. It's like the equivalency. Yeah, I think um, it is. He kept getting himself promoted. In 1902, he became lieutenant. 1906, became captain. During his military time, he earned the nickname Titus because there is a historical figure named Titus Oates. And I started doing a little research just so I could give you a little bit of background on him. And I'm going to wait because I might do an episode on him. He was insane. He, um, his actions resulted in the execution of 22 innocent men and the imprisonment of many more. So I think I might tell you guys about Titus Oates sometime in the future. So people, they called him Titus. So I'm probably going to call him Titus during the rest of this because I think it's a cool name. So... <coughs> When I told you guys about the Franklin Expedition, I told you that in the 1800s, um, everybody was trying to find the Northwest Passage. Everybody wanted to be the one to find the Northwest Passage. Well, by the time we reached the 1900s, everybody was trying to be the first to reach the South Pole. This was our new race. People would take expeditions there, just like they would take expeditions to find the Northwest Passage. And when they went, they would claim certain areas as their own. Like a lot of times they were also doing research. So they would claim an area and like set up their their home base there it would be their area and it wasn't like illegal for other people to set up in your space but it was disrespectful if they did one man i i meant to say this when i started and then i forgot and now drew's not here to hear it issues um but this episode's about lawrence oates and an expedition that he went on and it really evolved into being mostly about the expedition with information about lawrence oates so, like, his story is the one that I wanted to tell, but then I got really interested in the expedition as a whole. So, anyway, this guy, Robert Falcon Scott, had led an expedition in from 1901 to 1904. It was a discovery expedition. And he hadn't reached the South Pole. He had reached 82 degrees south, which is the 80th parallel, which is about 690 miles north, which is still, it feels far away. But for the size of the Earth, it was pretty close to the South Pole, and he had done giving, some research while he was out there. Hmm? The, you're giving like altitudes right now, or not altitudes, but like yes. Uh, yeah. And I I'm, feel like I'm, I need a globe right now. Well, here's the Earth. <laughs> oh my god, you have a fucking globe! <laughs> I don't know what this is from, but I was sitting here yesterday and I looked over and saw it. And I was like, oh my god, I use this tomorrow. So. Mm-hmm. Are you going to point it out for me right now? (laughs) I am. It's so tiny. 60, 75. Hey, Lacey. So it's about that close. Oh, okay. That's so so close. Join our Patreon for the visual. You have the the whole world in your hands there for a second. I did. I did. Oh. So... 
um, while he was there, he did some research. He liked to bring scientists along with him. Um, Charles. In, so 1901 to 1904 was when he did the expedition. In 1909, he learned that a man named Ernest Shackleton, which I think is a cool name, had led the Nimrod expedition, which is another cool name, to within 100 miles of the pole. And on his expedition, Shackleton made his base in Scott's field of work, which was a breach of professionalism and was like a little bit of a fuck you. So Scott became more determined to be the first one to reach the South Pole. And he decided to lead another expedition that would leave in 1910 called the Terra Nova. He knew that other people were also working on getting expeditions going at the same time. There was a Japanese expedition in the works. The Australasian Antarctic Expedition was going to leave in 1911, so a year later. And he had a rival in Norway named Roald Amundsen. Amundsen? Amundsen. Amundsen. He was Norwegian. Um, He had announced plans for his own expedition in 1910, so it's his, like, rival explorer is going to be going at the same time. The expedition cost an estimated 40,000 pounds, and they got a government grant to cover half excuse me to cover half the other half was funded through public contribution so scott had to constantly be fundraising for this even after it started he would have to be like leave the ship and go fundraise and stuff they had the support of the royal navy and of the royal geographical society so many people wanted to be involved in this race to the south pole that eight thousand people applied to be part of the terra nova expedition including titus oates 65 people Didn't... were chosen for it. Hold on a second. <laughs> she's getting, I think she's getting a better globe. Oh, oh there it is. Okay, show Bailey the 80th parallel. <laughs> Never mind, it's toward the bottom. Antarctic is on the bottom. Antarctica's on the top. The South Pole is on the bottom. I think. No, that's what wrong. Antarctica is the South Pole. Leave me alone. You gotta be doubting all my research. Also, I don't think that this is correct because I'm pretty sure Antarctica is supposed to be like the biggest continent, and that doesn't look very big. Well, is we like the whole the thing gets the whole thing gets warped when we try to like make globes. So like, all the land masses are kind of off. But you're right. That does look really tiny on there. What are you, a um, geographer? Maybe. In another life. Drew, can you flip to the uh, to the next slide? There's Titus. Oh. What else? Says- well, yeah. Okay, so his name was Lawrence. Hold on. Let me tell you his whole name. You Lawrence Edward Grace Oates. Um, when he was in the military, people started calling him Titus because there is a historical figure named Titus Oates, and I'm going to save that. I might tell you guys about him in the future because he ended up causing innocent people to be executed, and he was an absolutely absurd individual. I heard about the Nimrod expedition, which oh. yeah, was that yeah. was that a good name, Lacey? <laughs> I like it. Nimrod. It feels, like, it's, it feels like what you would give the expedition where you like they made a or mistake. They sent a bunch of morons to go check out <laughs> something. And you're like, let's just call that the Nimrod expedition. Led by Ernest Shackleton. Yeah, I heard that. Fun name. Oh. When I was finding pictures to put together for this, 
I was surprised at how modern some of the pictures looked. And then I realized this story takes place in like 1910 to 1912. And like, yes, it's a long time ago, but not as long ago as it feels like. And then it made me sad when I realized that. So it's anyway. Like a whole century ago. Oh, when you say like that, this, this is why it's so shocking that there's like schools like from fourteen like forty school that was yeah, and yet we're still expeditioning and like learning <laughs> about the fucking globe. In it really took us nineteen ten. Yeah, so so eight thousand people apply to be part of this expedition. If you go to the next slide, there's there's pictures of Robert Falcon Scott. Yeah, there he is. Um, oh, including Titus, he applied to be part of the expedition. 65 were chosen so they had to narrow it down from 8,000 to 65. Five of those who were chosen had been on the Nimrod expedition so they had already been on the expedition that went closer than anybody has ever gone. One applicant his name was Apsley Cherry Gerard. He was a protege of the chief scientist so it wasn't just explorers going it was also scientists because they were doing a lot of research out there. Um, so Apsley was a protege of the scientist and when he applied, he contributed a thousand pounds toward the expedition, which people would do. They would be like, hey, here's my application. I want to go. Also, if you let me go, I'll give you a thousand pounds. Because it was um, funded half through public contribution. But then, but then if you weren't chosen, you know, you would, you would take your money back. You'd be like, well, fuck you. That's my money. But when Apsley was turned down... He insisted that Scott keep his money. He was like, I still want you to use it because I want you to be successful. And Scott was so impressed by this that he changed his mind. And he was like, you know what? Come on. Come on with us, Apsley. Um, it is important to remember later that Apsley is not an explorer. He is just a scientist. Not just a scientist, but if you're a scientist, don't be offended. Um, so offended. Titus... Too bad. Titus was accepted oh. mainly be because of his military experience and his experience with horses. There were going to be 19 ponies going that would need to be taken care of. So his job would be to take care of them. Everything I read kept calling them ponies. And I don't know, Bailey, if there's a huge difference between ponies and horses. I kind of defaulted ponies. to horses when I was typing it up, but everything called them ponies. Ponies are shorter. Yeah, okay. I feel like they're like... They're close, but they're not the same. Yeah. Okay, it's so like, I will like try to remember to call them ponies. Yeah. Not really. That doesn't feel true. Why would they go with ponies, though? Well, because they would take a ship just to get to Antarctica, but then everything else they'd have to haul by hand. So they needed ponies. No, no, no. They also took dogs. She, she's or, wondering why they chose to take ponies instead of horses. Oh. Yeah. I Thank you know. for speaking my language, Drew. Yeah, I <laughs> was wondering the same thing because it seems like ponies are for children and horses are for That's explorers. why I call them horses when I typed it because it's like ponies are like little bitty horses. Well, maybe it's be like, you know how like some people will say like, oh, let's go bet on the ponies. Yeah. Yeah. Ponies sure. are also like stockier. So I, I wonder if it's like that. I mean their job is to like transport stuff to pull stuff and yeah. to be able to haul things around so um I'm probably going to be back and forth back and forth between ponies and horses so everybody just know I guess they were ponies um 
so his job was gonna be to take care of the ponies now they bought the ponies specifically for the expedition scott not scott um titus wasn't available to buy them like to go along and be like these are the ones that we should get so scott delegated that to somebody else um titus also contributed a thousand pounds to the expedition like a lot of the applicants for transport for transporting themselves and things they would have three motor sledges if you go to the next side i think that's got the motor sledges which were like early um nope that's the ship that's yeah, the I was gonna say, that doesn't look like <laughs> like early snowmobiles i guess that's oh, it that looks like yeah. like a military tank but tiny yeah and it's got like a little chair on top um, they had yeah, three of those, but that would, you know, make it easier to haul stuff around. Three of those 19 Siberian ponies and 34 dogs, because they could also use the dogs and sleds for hauling stuff. So while this expedition was part of the race to the South Pole, that wasn't the main focus. They also had a lot of science stuff that they wanted to focus on. They were doing research involving the emperor penguin colony at Cape Cape Crozier. They were studying the land. They're going to be exploring King Edward Land and Victoria Land. Also, there were a lot of names of locations when I was doing this that sounded really familiar because of the Franklin Expedition. So Cape Crozier is after um, Francis Crozier, who was one of the captains on that. Anyway, they would set up a base camp. And from there, different parties of men would have different tasks. So this group's going to be doing this science thing. This group's doing this other science thing. This group is heading to the South Pole. You know, doing all kinds of stuff. Um, They're doing science thing. They're doing science over there. They're doing more science over there. They're looking at science in that corner. There is so Um, much science. science Yeah. Mm. Scott said, quote, no one can say that it will have only been a pole hunt. We want the scientific work to make the bagging of the pole merely an item in the results. Um, Once the expedition got started, Oates was nicknamed the soldier by his fellow explorers because he was a soldier. Is that because all the scientists? Mm -hmm. People are so clever with nicknames. Mm. So the Terra Nova set sail June 15th, 1910. Scott, who was running it, wasn't actually on the ship the whole time because remember he had to keep fundraising. So he would have to leave the ship, like get on in a little ship and go dock places and get off and fundraise for a while and then go meet up with the ship again. When he got to Melbourne, Melbourne, for some fundraising, there was a letter waiting from him from his Norwegian rival, Rald Amundsen, saying that they were proceeding south, which was basically saying, the race is on. We're we're heading down to. Um Lawrence Titus was not popular on board the ship. Didn't have a lot of fans. He didn't get along with people. Um, He clashed with Scott a lot about managing the trip. So remember how Scott put somebody else in charge of purchasing the ponies? Mm -hmm. Titus was furious when he saw them uh, because the guy got the cheapest ones. They were five pounds. Instead of horses. Yeah. Yeah. They were five pound ponies. Like, like they cost five pounds. Oh, um, I was gonna say these are tiny. They're super small. Um, were, they, they, <laughs> were they monopoly ponies? Mini ponies. They couldn't haul anything. Um, so they they were the cheapest ponies that this guy could find. Titus said they were too old for the job, and he said, "Quote: Scott's ignorance about marching with animals is colossal." So he was pissed off about that from the get go. He kept clashing with Scott. Um, he complained in his diary that Scott always put him first. Let me do that again. 
He complained in his diary that Scott always put himself first above everything. And he said, myself, I dislike Scott immensely and would shuck the whole thing if it was not that we are a British expedition and must beat those Norwegians. Later, Sounds he would write like... in his diary that he was probably being harsh because of the conditions and because things just sucked and he kind of felt bad about it. He was, he was hangry. He was being um, a little emotional. It sounds yeah. like they need to, like, sit down with, like, their HR represent- representative and, like, hash through these problems. They need yeah. one of those, like, um, company retreats or something. Like a team yeah. building. Like Dr. Phil. I'd be like, he got on the ship. He was upset when he saw the horses. If you- Oh, if you go to the next slide, it might be a picture of him with the horses. Titus with the horses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, and, yeah. A, and a couple of the dogs. Yeah, he oh, does and not the look dogs happy. are just laying there. Like, also, they don't look like ponies to me, Bally. They look like horses, right? They don't but look I don't know Siberian ponies to me. Well, like the size compared to Titus. No, no, that's about right. For a pony? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I'm has... thinking of miniature ponies. I feel like Titus got on the ship there's, and saw the horses there's the ponies, also and he was like, like this is horses bullshit. Too. And was immediately pissed off. And then he didn't get along with people. And he was like, you know what? This sucks. Scott sucks. Scott can't run an expedition. Um, as for he's Scott. Also, hmm. I was going to say, he's like from the military. So he's probably like used to like things being done a, a certain, certain way. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Plus he's um, stuck with all those nerds. All those loser scientists. Mm-hmm. Penguins. Science guys. Yeah. So, as for Scott, he referred to Titus as the cheery old pessimist. And he wrote in his diary, The soldier takes a gloomy view of everything, but I've come to see that this is characteristic of him. So it seemed like Scott wasn't, like, too bothered by Titus being moody. Maybe because well, Titus got shot in the femur and lost, like, two inches. Oh, yeah, he's he was after that. Man. Yeah. So, they're on the ship. Um, they left the sh- they got on they set sail Jesus in June in December uh, they were hit by a bad storm and their pumps failed and they had to scoop buckets of water overboard like scoop buckets just bailing water out they lost in this storm they lost a dog two ponies 10 tons of coal and 65 gallons of gas they lost a dog oh it's gonna you're not gonna love everything about this story trigger <laughs> <laughs> warning stop I guess I wanted to just shock you with it later. Um, A few days later, they ran into some pack ice. (laughs) Excuse me. And they were stuck for 20 days before they could continue further. And at this point, that used up six tons of tool. That's not a word. Six tons of coal. I'm going too fast because I'm excited. I get so excited to tell you guys my stories. You need to breathe. Did did you say tool? I did. Six tons of tool they used. It was supposed to yeah, be cold. Yeah, that is a thing. Isn't that like a material for like yeah, dresses? Like like horses, yeah, I meant like horses. it wasn't it's nearly dresses. what I needed to say. Lacey. Yeah. Are they going to end up eating the dogs? No. Okay. I promise. You're smiling while you're saying that. Because <laughs> it was just an interesting question. She also and hesitated. I- <laughs> I had to clarify a piece of information in my brain before I could confirm that. You'll see. Okay, so they- in January of 1911, they arrived at their location, which was called Cape Evans, and they set up their base. So they kind of, the ship, the ship basically dropped them off and left. It wasn't going to stay with them the whole time because it had other things to do. 
and um they didn't want to get stuck in the ice like all these we've talked about expeditions that would go and get stuck and then be trapped forever like franklin expedition so yeah, pretty much they're all life. own life yeah um they spend their first the franklin expedition well you know what i started watching the show that they made about it the terror and it's freaking fascinating first of all i love historical fiction and the fact that it's like all the real names and stuff is just cool after learning about it researching and learning about it and it's scary and i just really like it so anyway they spent their first season depot laying so they had to set up depots so think like a storage shelter kind of thing um they set it up from the edge of the great ice barrier also called the ross ice shelf down to that 80th parallel 80 degrees south which was the farthest that um that scott had gone before the idea is when the men would make their journey to the pole, these depots would be stocked with supplies. So they wouldn't need to bring enough to get all the way there. And then after, as they were on their trip, the other guys would come and restock them. So when they were coming back from the pole, they could stop the depots again. So they don't need to bring with them everything they need to get down and back because the depots would be supplied for them along the way. Is it kind of like how at the Diet Love Pass they had their, like yeah shed yeah it was like that but they were bigger um and they you know they had food they had dog food for the dogs along the way and some other stuff the and uh, the biggest one which is going to be the final one was called one ton depot because they would literally stock it with a ton like one ton of stuff this one would be all the way at the 80th parallel they're really good with nicknames yeah you know one ton depot they're so clever. They're mm-hmm. very lit- like literal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they would be on their own for supplies from one ton down to the pole and back, but they should be okay. That next picture is a picture of um, the base that they set up. They set up like a hut. It's still there. You can still go see it. They still do research and stuff um, there. Yeah. I wouldn't go see it. It's really cold. You, you, you make it seem to. like you could totally go see it. It's in the fucking South Pole, Lacey. I was like, gonna I'm going to go there in the we- like next weekend. Probably, they do research and stuff. <laughs> um, you can go check it out if you're interested. I don't. No. So these 65 men were living out of this hut, this 50 by 25 feet hut, although they were off doing sciencey things. Um, this team that was doing the depot laying consisted of 12 men eight horses, and two dog teams. They couldn't use the motor sledges because once they got there and unloaded them, um, they couldn't handle the conditions. If it was too icy, the freaking motor sledges didn't work. So they were, they ended up, they could use them here and there. They weren't able to use them for the depot laying. Um, So the depot laying journey started on January 27th. Progress was slower than expected, first of all, because Titus, who everybody already didn't like, he didn't like wearing the snowshoes, so he left them back at base camp. He was like, I will not wear the snowshoes. I hate them. <laughs> so then they were slower because he couldn't go as fast. Um, they also got held up by a blizzard for three days. Um, at one point, the horses were weak because they got the cheapest old horses. So Scott sent three of them back to base camp. because He's like, they're not going to make it the whole journey. Two of them died on the way back. So they already lost those two horses. Plus the ones that had died in that storm on the ship. As they neared the end of 
their depot lane journey to get to lay one ton depot. Um, he was worried the rest of the horses would also die before they got back. Oates wanted to keep going and just as the horses died, use them for food. But Scott said, no, I don't want to lose any of the horses yet. So instead, they set up One Ton Depot 30 miles short of where they had originally planned to set it up. I'm adding something to my notes real quick. Um, because I just, I wanted to say it now. I'm like, I can't until the end. And I don't want to forget to say it. Am I going to be sad because of the dogs? Or were you, like, preparing me for, like, the horses? Because I don't really care about the horses. <laughs> oh, you'll probably be fine then. I th- I think that okay. the dogs all end up being okay. Okay. Just because, like, horses, like, evolutionary evolutionarily should not be alive. Yeah? We'll get to that later because that they, sounds really interesting. Like, and I... They're so stupid. Yeah, we'll get. Yeah. Oh, like um, survival of the, like, yeah, natural like selection. They should not and... be. Yeah, like, Darwinism oh, needs to happen for them. Um, so they set up One Ton Depot 30 miles short of where they were going to. When they headed back to safety camp at the edge of the Great Ice Barrier, they were split into two teams. There was the horse team and the dog team. Dogs were just faster. Um, at one point, one of the dog teams fell into a crevasse. Uh, and Scott risked his own life to save them and saved everybody. So everybody was I fine. mean, of course you would. They're dogs. Yeah, and they made it. Um, after everybody got back to safety camp, one horse died shortly after. And then as they were heading back to Camp Evans, they had to cross. They were crossing the sea, but on foot because it was covered with ice. Um, and the ice actually broke up as they were going back and they lost three more horses. So they set off on this depot laying journey with eight horses and only two made it back. Um, I wasn't going to tell you guys about any of the other stuff going on on the expedition, but then some of it was just interesting. So in February, while they were doing some science stuff, according to my notes, a team under Victor Campbell, who was one of the explorers there, they encountered the Norwegian party. He said that Amundsen was very polite and he offered Campbell a place to camp nearby. And Campbell was like, no. Fuck you. And he headed back to base camp to tell everybody. And they had to send word to the people laying the depots because they were off on their depot laying journey. And that word reached those guys on February 22nd. And Scott and the rest of the party were pretty mad. And they actually wanted to head over to the Norwegian camp and like have it out with them. They didn't. But, you know, they were like, oh, no. How'd they get here? They shouldn't be here. It's like the sharks versus the jets. They're going to rumble. Yeah. On, um, I have most of this in, like, chronological order. I am, I do have, like, this one thing here. After he brought the news back, after Victor Campbell brought the news back, he led what they called the Northern Party, because they were doing science stuff north. Uh, so the Terra Nova, the ship, took them up to Robertson Bay, and they built a hut that would serve as their home base for some exploring up there. They were supposed to do their exploring over the summer, but they couldn't fulfill all their plans because the conditions were so bad and a general inability to find a route to explore. On January 4th, 1912, so almost a full year later, the ship picked them back up. So they were just living out of a hut. I mean, I guess they all are at this point. But um, it picked them up and moved them to another spot, Evans Cove, which is 200 miles northwest of Cape Evans. They're like home, home base. They're supposed to be picked up February 18th, so only like a month and a half later. But the ship couldn't get to them because of pack ice. And the men were forced to create to excavate a snow cave 
where they spent the entire rest of the winter in a snow cave. They had some food with them, like the food that was supposed to last on the six weeks. And then they fished and they hunted seals. And they built a blubber stove, which is a thing, to stay warm. A blubber stove. Um, by all accounts, it was extremely challenging, as we can all imagine. In April, um, one of the guys at base camp, Edward Atkinson, he was like the second in command. He led a rescue party to get the men, but the weather was so bad they couldn't make it. On September 30th, so after being living out of their ice cave since January, the stranded snow men... Cave. Thank you, snow cave. The stranded men were like, we're desperate. We have to just try to walk back these 200 miles. And they fucking did. <laughs> they set out on this 200-mile hike to base camp, and they all survived, despite being weak and sick and just the general physical challenges of it. So that's a, a little bit of a happy thing that happened on this expedition. That's there were happy. also the survivors. I'm, I'm waiting for where the, I don't know, true crime or whatever sneaks in. Is someone going to die? Yeah. <laughs> the horses um, are. <laughs> there, there were also some Western exploring parties, but they had less exciting stories. Um, so I the now whole, I want the I want the British expedition to attack the Norwegians and just make it like a massacre. I want, want this to turn into like, the Lawrence Oates expedition massacre. It's, a, it's more of a sad is... story than an exciting story. Okay, well, I want blood. It's too cold for blood. We're in the South Pole. <laughs> so that I took you on a little bit of a journey to see what the, happened to the Northern Party, but now come back with me to 1911. Um, on September 13th, Scott unveiled his plan for how they were going to get to the South Pole. Sixteen men were going to head out on this journey. They were going to go to Beardmore Glacier, which kind of like the edge of the Great Ice Barrier, with two of the motor sledges, all that remained, because one of them was broken, all the dogs and all the horses, the sledges and the animals to help lug supplies. When they got there, four of those men would head back to base with the dogs. The horses would all be killed for food. Um, some of it the men would take with them further on their journey. Some of it would be left in the depots along the way. That was what I had thought was going to upset you before. So if you're fine, then this is fine. The 12 men who remained were going to split into three teams, three teams of four, to cross the polar plateau. Hey, what do I, what's on my next slide? Oh, that's just a picture from the expedition I thought was pretty. What's the next one? That's the polar plateau. It's exactly that's what a, you would imagine. That's doesn't, a just, white background. Just doesn't it seem awful to have to like there's nothing there. Like six hundred and ninety miles in there. Um so they would split into three teams of four to cross a polar plateau. One of the groups would go all the way to the South Pole. The other two were there for support. So they would go a certain distance and then turn back. And Scott said he would decide who would make up that final group during the journey. He left very specific instructions with the men back at Camp Evans. So he talked to Cecil Mears. He's the guy in charge of the dogs. And he gave him a very strict timeline. He said, late December, maybe early January, you need to set out with the dogs for one ton depot to restock it. Um, he gave him a certain number of rashes to fill it up with, oil, and dog food. 
Um, and if he couldn't do it with the dogs, if something happened to the dogs in the meantime, then they would just have to manhaul it, where they would literally, like, stock up the sledges and pull them with ropes. Um, he said that he would have to do this at all hazards. So it was, like, top of the priority list, get back to one depot to restock it with rations. Then, you know, go back to base camp, fuck around for a while. First week of February, he was to set out from base camp with the dogs to meet the returning polar party about March 1st. So as the guys were coming back, they knew that they wouldn't be in great condition. They'd be tired. They'd need some support. Mears and his team would be coming to meet him with the dogs. Um, Scott stressed that the first set of instructions was the most important. It was extremely important to stock up one ton depot. So the motor sledge party left on October 24th. They made it 50 miles into their 200 mile journey before the sledges failed. And they had to manually haul 740 pounds of supplies the rest of the way. All of the parties reached the Great Ice Barrier by December 4th. And then a blizzard hit. And they had to camp out until December 9th and use some of the rations that were supposed to be saved for the glacier journey. When the blizzard ended, the horses were shot for food. Two men were sent back with the dogs and a letter from Scott. And the letter said, Things were not as rosy as they might seem, but we keep our spirits up and say the luck must turn. So by January 30th, Scott had decided who would be part of the polar party, who would be the last group making it all the way to the South Pole. It would be him, um, Titus, Edward Wilson, Henry Robertson Bowers, and Edgar Evans. Now, you may remember they were supposed to be in teams of four, and he just made up a five-person team because he felt like it. So they had to recalculate rations and the weight of stuff that they were carrying around. Before they continued on, Scott gave his instructions again about stocking one ton depot and meeting them with the dogs to Atkinson, who was his second in command. He was like, hey, I already told Cecil Mears about this, but I also want you to know you need to do this. It is important. On January 17th, so, you know, the party split off. Now we're on our last five-man team who are hiking by themselves for hundreds of miles to the South Pole, and they reached it on January 17th. They got to the South Pole. There they are, at the South Pole. They don't look thrilled about it. And when they got there, you know what they found at the South Pole? That they were on the wrong slate. No, they found the Norwegian flag. Oh, Um, that sucks. Yeah, Amundsen had beat them there. There's their flag, and there was a note from him. (laughs) He left a note. Saying that they reached the pole, he reached the pole with five other men on December 14th, so about a month earlier. On my glitty, I love it. Right here it says Ross C. Yes. That's this. So this was their, Um, so the blue was Scott's journey, and this green is um, the Norwegian journey. This, the part that's like gray, that's the Ross ice shelf. That's just fucking ice over the ocean. It's just It looks like the Norwegians had a shorter... It does. It um, looked like they found distance. a better path. It looks like you would they found think, a better path. You would think if it was like just a plateau, you walk straight. You would think, but it's not as flat as that sounds. Oh, okay. There were a lot of crevasses. There were a lot of um, glaciers. So like right here, they crossed the Beardmore Glacier. There's a mountain range here um, at the edge of the Great Ice Barrier. It's called like the Transatlantic Transantarctic mountains or something. So you would have to find places between the mountain peaks where glaciers had like moved through to be able to get through. So it sounded just awful. Do they know the definition? 
Do they know the definition of plateau? You know, pretty sure they made up that word back then. Um, Scott put in his diary the pole. Yes, but under very different circumstances from those expected. Great God, this is an awful place and terrible enough for us to have labored to it without the reward of priority. Well, it is something to have got here. So they were very disheartened that they didn't get there first. However, there was still a little bit of a race because they could still be the first to report it because they would have to send all the news back by letter. So now the idea is race back to camp to get on the ship to sail to the closest like port to send word home that we did reach the South Pole. So we're going to at this point forward from this point forward, we're going to be back and forth between what the polar party is doing on their journey back to base camp and what's going on at base camp. Okay. So they reached the pole on January 17th back at base camp. Cecil Mears had not set out to restock one ton depot like he was supposed to do at the end of December, maybe beginning of January. Two different people who were on this expedition wrote about this in their journal and they gave two different accounts for why he didn't restock. One person just said that he was fed up with it. He was disgusted with the expedition. He was over it. So he just like Go home, neglected man. his job. Well, they're, you know, in the Antarctica. Then go um, another person said that he was actually preparing to leave to go restock it. And they saw in the distance the ship returning. And he was like, I'm going to wait till the ship gets here to see if there's any word from home. And it, it would take a couple days from the time he saw it to the time he got there. Turned out it was a mirage. The ship didn't come back again until February. So then when he realized the ship wasn't there, he just didn't go. Whatever the true reason is, he didn't go to stock One Ton Depot. Um, a party did eventually manhaul a, a, a portion of the rations to One Ton, but not what was asked to, and not any of the dog food or the oil or anything. So this meant that the supplies the Polar Party would need by the time they reached One Ton wouldn't be there, but as it turned out, that didn't even matter. The weather at the South Pole was horrific. As the Polar Party made their way back, they all suffered from frostbite and scurvy, as well as injuries from falls. Scott was worried about Edgar Evans in particular. His frostbite was bad, and he seemed generally more tired out than the others. Titus's feet were also a concern. He had frostbite on his feet, and it was getting difficult for him to walk. Back How did they get camp, scurvy? There's he no. He should have been wearing the special shoes. He should have had his snowshoes. Is he gonna um, die? Maybe the story's about. They're all gonna die. And the sad poem was about him. Um, so back at base camp on February third which was later than they were told. They were told to leave the beginning of February with the dogs to meet up with the returning party. On February 13th, Atkinson set off the dog teams to meet up with the polar party. They paused because of bad weather at a location called Hut Point. Back to the polar party. Evans continues to get worse. His frostbite was severe. He had an injury on his hand that wouldn't heal. I don't know anything else about that. And he had hit his head several times while falling on the ice. Um, on scurvy, 17th, scurvy hmm? causes uh, poor wound healing. Okay. For um, anyone that doesn't 17th, know, hold on. Scurvy is a severe vitamin C deficiency. That's why you need oranges. Or else you get scurvy. Um, on February 17th, just after they reached the Great Ice Barrier, so they crossed over Beardmore Glacier, 
Evans collapsed and died, and they had to just leave him. Now, when they were on their first journey to the pole, and those two other parties broke off and headed back to camp, one of them had a Lieutenant Evans with them, and he became really sick with scurvy. His team had to resort to carrying him until they reached this point that was 35 miles south of Hut Point. They thought he was going to die. Um, on February 18th, a member of this team continued on alone, and he reached Hut Point, where, super luckily, Atkinson had just paused. He was coming with the dog team. They paused there because of bad weather. So the member of this team showed up and was like, hey, Lieutenant Evans is going to die. So Atkinson said, well, I can't waste my time now going to meet up with Scott and their team. I got to go rescue Evans. So they diverted the dog teams to Evans so they could get him and get him back to base camp. Okay. Switching back over to the polar party. They reached the barrier stage three days early, which is cool. They were supposed to hit March 1st. Hold on. Bailey, do you think someone's going to die soon? God, I hope so. Me too. <laughs> I'm so bored. No offense, like such God. a history lesson. I want someone to die. A carnage. We just I want want Evan. Evan's died. I he died in scurvy. Come on. on. I was going to say, I would like a mysterious death. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, or a murder. scurvy. Ugh. Oh, you're scurvy. Bad one. Or That's like, awesome. give me a like, give me a mystery. Did they like? Come There's on. No um, the they fuck? were supposed to meet up. Shh. The dog team was supposed to meet up with them on March first. Um, they got there three days early, so I'm just gonna say like February 26th. And since they were early, they weren't concerned that the dog teams weren't there. They just continued on. They expected to run into the dog teams as they went. However, the dogs never showed up. And the temperature dropped unexpectedly. Like, apparently, even for the South Pole, it had dropped unexpectedly. So back at base camp, where Atkinson was back with the dogs after rescuing somebody else, he passed on the task of meeting Scott with the dogs to Apsley. Now, Apsley, I had mentioned earlier, he's a scientist's protege. He's not an explorer. He's not a dog team guy. He's just a scientist. And Atkinson was like, how about you take the dogs? And go meet up with Scott. Um, because they were now running so late to meet up with him, they expected that Scott would have would already reach One Ton Depot on his own. Which, remember, they had not restocked with supplies. So he was like, just get to One Ton. Scott will be there. If he's not there, it's a little bit concerning. You'll just have to decide what to do. But no matter what you do, don't risk the dogs. Um, so he set out at March 4th. So three days after they were supposed to meet up with him was when he left. And this was six days after Scott's party had already gotten there. Um, so he, oh, I'm sorry. I lied to you. He didn't set off on March 1st, 4th. He reached one ton depot on March 4th. And obviously Scott wasn't there yet. He didn't feel that it was risk. It was worth the risk to travel further and risk the dogs. So he waited until March 10th before heading back to base camp. When he reached base camp without Scott, everybody was worried because he should have been at one ton long before Apsley got there. Later, he would publish a book about the expedition and he would write that this decision to head back to base camp instead of going on to look for Scott would trouble him for the rest of his life. So back to the polar party. By March 10th, which is my husband's birthday, it's also Carrie Underwood's birthday, 
when Apsley, so March 10th is when Apsley left one ton to head back to base camp. At this point in the polar party, Oates is barely able to walk, which slowed progress greatly. And they had to kind of carry him sometimes. They had to help him along. Sometimes they were going fewer than five miles a day. Scott wrote in his journal that, um, that Titus was a terrible hindrance to others at this point. On March 15th, he told they the men that kill he, him. On March 15th, he he couldn't go on. He asked them to just leave him behind in his sleeping bag, but they refused. He made it a few more miles, but that night he got worse. On March 16th, the day before his 32nd birthday, the men were in the tent waiting out a blizzard. He managed to get to his feet. He gathered his sleeping bag and he said, I'm just going outside and maybe some time. He then walked out into the blizzard, sacrificing himself so that the team could move more quickly without him. That's what the poem was written about. It's like a in, dog that like leaves the family and like goes to go yeah. Goes yeah. to like a tree. Yeah. To go die somewhere. In a diary entry dated the next day, Scott said, We knew it was the act of a brave man and an English gentleman. We all hope to meet the end with a similar spirit, and assuredly the end is not far. So their speed yep. did increase without Titus there, but they were still struggling because now they all have frostbite, they all have scurvy. Um they're running low on supplies. It's just hard. On March 20th, they're stopped again by a blizzard. Back at base camp, on March 26th, Atkinson, second in command, set off on another attempt to reach the polar party. On March 29th, Scott wrote his final diary entry. He wrote, Every day we have been ready to start for our depot, but outside the door of the tent, it remains a scene of whirling drift. I do not think we can hope for any better things now. We shall stick it out to the end, but we are getting weaker, of course, and the end cannot be far. It seems a pity, but I do not think I can write more. R. Scott. Last entry. For God's sake, look after our people. On March 30, on March 30th, the next day, after having his progress impeded by the, wind, the weather again, Atkinson had to turn home or turn back for base camp. He wrote in his diary, in my own mind, I was morally certain that the party had perished. Now, in the spring, Atkinson had to decide between going to look for the polar party and that northern party that I told you guys about before, led by Campbell, who had to hang out in an ice cave. Um, they had a whole group meeting with everybody who was on the expedition, and they decided that they should head to look for Scott first because he was in a more dire situation. The search party set out on October 29th, and on November 12th, they found the tent with the frozen bodies of Scott, Wilson, and Bowers. They were 11 miles south of One Ton Depot. Now, if you remember, several months earlier, when they were laying the depots out, Scott decided to put One Ton 30 miles close, shorter of where he wanted to put it because he didn't want to risk the horses. So if they had laid One Ton where it was supposed to be, um, they would have at least made it to One Ton Depot and had shelter more than their tent. Uh, after they collected the men's personal items, they erected a cairn over the tent and the bodies. They looked for Titus as well. They only ever found his sleeping bag. They erected a cairn near where they believed he would have died. When they got back to base on November 25th, they learned that that northern party had rescued themselves and brought themselves back to base camp. And that's the story of Lawrence Oates and the Terra Nova expedition. That's the cairn they that they put find up. His sleeping, sleeping bag and not bed. his body? I don't know. That weirds me out. I don't think anything weird happened. I just 
like the sleeping bag state and they were heavy they were made out of reindeer skin they're like heavier than our sleeping bags we have now but still his body would have been heavier yet than the sleeping bag yeah so that's a picture of the Karen. I don't know if that's the Karen where the three men were found or where the one that they put up for oats. What's the next picture? I don't remember what pictures I put on here. That's the last one. Oh, okay. That's the end. So that um, line, I'm just going outside and maybe some time. Scott wrote that in his journal, that, that was um, the la- those were the last words of Titus. And from all accounts, they didn't even try very hard to dissuade him. They were just kind um, of like, go ahead. I appreciate your research and you telling the story. But I need more gore next time. We've had stories yeah, that weren't so cool. like, Can we, like, <laughs> is the sinister you part walk out where into a blizzard in the in Antarctica to sacrifice himself for a team that all died anyway. Lacey, I'm just saying when 11 I did miles like, oh, short of their goal. Like when I did like an expedition that perished, like to Atlas Pass, like at least there was like carnage and like mystery and like people had like broken story. legs and I mean I'm just saying. It, it I will say um next week will be more Crimey. Crimey. The week after will be more crimey too. Yeah. Um, that one picture that you had put up that was like the artist's rendering of Titus walking out to the blizzard. Nobody just took I, um, a picture of him. Yeah. No. I. Uh, I like that, and it also makes me sad. Okay. So teaser for next week. <laughs> you give us a teaser. Uh, um, kind of like the same time frame. Uh, Italy had its first female serial killer, and I'm going to be telling you guys about her. Ooh. Ooh. Because, you know, Italian. That's us. And then also, like, first female. Go girls. (laughs) Winning. Girl power. So, um, she is nicknamed, uh, the soap maker of, let me get the pronunciation, the soap maker of Correggio. Oh. She poisoned the soap or something? Maybe. And then made them eat it. The poison works. Oh. You can ingest... Like, you, can you know that your skin will take in... You have to eat like poison soap. No, you don't. <laughs> We're gonna find out. <laughs> okay. Next week. Did she forcibly wash them with it? Yep. That's exactly them. it. You figured Held it out. them down and scrubbed them. And they were like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever been through. And then, Lisa, and then you didn't either. give us oh, you didn't you. you didn't give us any carnage this week, so you're in timeout. Yeah, too late. All right, so Ooh. that I was wanna... not sinister or sarcastic. I think Bailey and I were sarcastic in I, our bullying yeah. of Lacey. I don't know how you think that story wasn't sinister. I think it was sinister, and I think that people will find it sinister. I think it was depressing. Let's start that a poll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interact with us, guys. Co- comment sinister. Send it. Send a comment if you think it's depressing or sinister. Send us off. That was sinister. That was sinister. I know you're sarcastic. And we hope you keep listening. <laughs> <laughs>